0: Thanks for joining the Capital Church podcast channel. For more resources and to learn more about Capital Church, please visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info@capitalchurch.co. At an extraordinary job. Uh, how many of you were here last week? Okay, Uh, Many of you were here last week, Uh, we talked about the resurrection on Easter, and uh, this uh, today, and over the next few weeks, we are going to be talking about um, anxiety, we're going to talk a little bit about worry, a little bit about fear, so we're going to resume our thoughts and things sermon series, and so uh, I really want to address worry and uh, panic today, and uh, what it is. I'm going to do my best to talk about what it is and then what, what, what does Jesus say about worry. And then I want to give you a practice at the end of uh, this talk here uh, today that we can all do this week to subvert the structure, the logic of worry in our life. Can I get any amen to that? Uh, next week, please don't miss it. I, I'm, I'm going to talk about something I've never talked about before, and it's depression. And I'm going to deal with depression Uh, We're going to go after it. We're going to talk about a disordered thought world. I'm really excited about that because I know there are a lot of people, good people. Everyone say good people. Good people love Jesus and they're depressed. And uh, I believe that Jesus is going to set you free from your depression. So please don't miss that. So I'm going to do my best to talk about, remember, we talked, the the whole thesis of the sermon series is you don't have a behavior problem, an addiction problem, right, an adultery problem per se, you have a problem with your thinking. And so uh, we're going to uh, talk a little bit about that today. So we're going to get into our passage here really quick as we, uh, Jesus, excuse me, in Matthew chapter 6 has been talking about the priorities of the kingdom of God. And uh, this is uh, technically the Sermon on the Mount, and so he's been talking about a lot of different things, kind of a, kind of giving us a panoramic vision of, of our life before God, and he talks about fasting, giving, all that kind of stuff. Then we come to verse 25, and uh, this is what Jesus says, therefore I tell you, and I'm going to take just a chunk of this passage and we'll go through it, do not be anxious about your life. Can you turn to the neighbor and say, come on, man. I mean come on, come on, come on, come. On. So this is this is cast as an imperative, right? So is Jesus being insensitive? Like, do not be anxious about your life. That's like for some of you, that's like Jesus coming to you saying, hey, you can't breathe anymore. Right? Fear and anxiety is the dominant feature of your life, and you're like, come on, how? Like, how is that possible? We'll talk about that here pretty quick. So Jesus says, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, but your body image. Don't worry about wealth, don't worry about income, don't worry about your self-worth, don't worry about all that stuff, right, your social media presence, uh, what you put on, right, technology, we go on and on and on ad ad nauseum. And then he continues, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Come on, is life more, how many of you love brunch? But come on, is it, is there something more than Brunch? Right? Is there something waking up, going to brunch, going to church, then going to brunch? Right? Doing your thing throughout the day, um, or maybe throughout the week, going to work, coming home, watching some Netflix, whatever show, and then you sleep, and then 80 years from now you die. Isn't life more than that? And Jesus will answer, "Yeah, absolutely." In the emphatic. So we come to verse 26, and (laughs) I love this. Jesus said, "Okay, this is how you subvert anxiety. Look at the birds of the air." Right? They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet, your Father in heaven feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Like, how many of you love springtime in the morning? I love, like, about 7 o'clock in the morning going out. It's nice and brisk and cool. We have a little dove um, at the other house. I've yet to, when 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 I wake up, I've yet to go outside and see a dove Um, popping pills and drinking Michelob and saying, man, brother, it's going to be a rough day today, and then goes back to cooing, coo, coo, right? Now, I've been dive-bombed by birds before. I know, I know there's some Darwinian um, scholars out there that say, yeah, you know, barnyard chickens are territorial. There's a dominance hierarchy, and they all hate on each other. I get that. But Jesus is saying, hey, when you actually look at the cosmos and you look at the birds, man, it kind of seems like they're carefree. They're not worried about yesterday. They're not worried about tomorrow. They're actually kind of present. How many of you would like to live that life? Some of you, you can't enjoy your family time, you can't enjoy your your kids, you can't enjoy your spouse, you can't enjoy your downtime because you're way too worried. And then Jesus says in verse 27, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to a span of life? In other words, Jesus is saying, hey, anxiety and worry is a complete waste of time. Man, that's hard to to stomach, right? A complete waste of time. Some of us are so, worry for us is so automatic that we just feel like it's it's a part, it's stitched. I'll say it this way. It's stitched into the fabric of our life. Like, to be human is to worry. Jesus is saying, hey, don't worry about being taller, being a baller, whatever. You, 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 don't waste your time one minute worrying. You still with me? And then Jesus continues in verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor they spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you. Many scholars believe that Jesus invented this next phraseology of little faith. Basically, he's calling the crowds little faiths, right? Little believers, little trusters, right? O you of little faith. And then he continues, verse 31, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles and pagans seek after all these things, but yet your Father in heaven knows that you need them all. Seek first the kingdom of God. This is about priorities and his righteousness. We'll probably talk about this over the next few weeks, years, months, whatever. And all these things will be added to you. Verse 34 Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Quickly, one more passage before we pray, get into this uh, four hour talk here pretty soon. Philippians chapter 4, 4 through 9, Paul talks about anxiety. And he begins in verse 4. He's writing in prison, so there's a lot of irony in this passage. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Some of you can't rejoice right now. Some of you, as Shay mentioned, it feels like winter. It feels like this last week, a winter storm hit you and you're suffering. You got bad news. You don't know what to do with it. Your life is gripped by fear, worry, panic, maybe even despair. Paul says we can still rejoice even though you don't feel like rejoicing because we're part of a community that rejoices. This is why you can't go it alone. This is why you can't do life by yourself. Paul, in other words, is not saying rejoice to an individual. He's saying rejoice to a community. When we come together, it's so important that we're part of a community of believers because when we're not rejoicing, we can get around people who are rejoicing, who also can bring comfort and strength to us. Verse 5, Paul continues, let your reasonableness or your gentleness or your compassion, in other translations, be known to everyone. The Lord, I love this, is at hand. Do not be anxious. Sounds like Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. About anything. How many of you just show of hands? How many of you say, yeah, Chris, that's that's tough? About a third of you. The other two thirds, you guys are liars, okay? <laughs> I'm raising because hey, this message I'm preaching myself this morning. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving and gratitude, let your request be made known to God. And here we have a blueprint for subverting, right? Subverting anxiety. And then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true then, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think. Everyone say think. Think about these things. Think about these things. Think about it. Think about it. Think about it. Think about the promises of God. Verse 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. And everyone said, amen. Could you bow your heads, close your eyes. Father, Lord, I, I, I thank you that you're here. Lord, I thank you that the God of peace is here. I know there's probably quite a few people here that are in the struggle of fear and worry. And I just ask you would come and you would speak your peace over every man, every woman, every child, teenager, every, over every marriage, every, every family, those who are in the grip of fear and worry. Holy Spirit, I, I thank you that you would come and you would speak your peace and you would bring hope in Jesus' name. Lord, we declare you are the God of hope. So Holy Spirit, say what you want to say. Do what you want to do. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Um, how many of you have grown up in church? Okay, maybe about half of us. And you, So you probably, you, you probably know the answer to this, and scholars will tell you this if you read any commentary. Uh, they will tell you that the most frequent command in the Bible is not, and this is kind of rhetorical, so don't answer it if you know it, is not be good, right? Because actually I don't think there's any command that says, okay, you just be good, right? You be like the version of Ned Flanders, Become a religious do-gooder, right? Uh, Bring in, become, as you follow Jesus, become a really nice person. Bring in feral cats into your house and then turn totally weird, right? I don't know where I'm going with that. But the Bible, the most frequent command in the Bible is not be good. Um, We do have commands, and I think this is important, where it says be holy for I am holy. It's important how many of you think that we need to be holy in life, right? Um, But be holy for I am holy is not the most dominant command Scripture, It's not even don't sin. And the Bible takes sin serious. Paul talks about the dehumanized ways in which we um, participate in uh, that cause us to sin and go in the opposite direction of, of Jesus and his will for us. But the most frequent command in the Bible is not be good. It's not be holy for I am holy, which is a good one. It's not don't sin. The most frequent without question command in the Bible is do not be afraid. Fear not, or the derivative here that we're talking about here today is do not be anxious. This last week I read a story. I don't think I've shared this story before. Um, it, this practical joker, I think it was the turn of the 19th century, I mean the first part of the 20th century, uh, he sent a telegram uh, to uh, all the members of a particular government. I don't know what the government was. And uh, the telegram read this All is discovered, fly at once. Within 24 hours, this is a totally true story. It didn't come from my mind, okay? With 24 or within 24 hours, every member of that government left the country. Why? Well, because fear dominates our life. Uh, another kind of funny story, maybe I don't, maybe you think it's tragic, I don't know. A, a group of sociologists uh, over, I think about two years ago, uh, they staged this event. I'm not quite sure what city it was. They had actors, they strategically placed actors to run through city streets acting terrified. And they're kind of doing like an anthropological study. You might think that's just bad. But they, did, they wanted to see the response of people they found out that being afraid or being terrified is contagious. As people were running through the streets afraid and pretending to lose their mind, people who were, they they weren't in the know of this stage event, started picking up all their, their stuff, started picking up their babies, and they all started to run, right? And they concluded, you might think that's that's mean, right? But they concluded that a basic feature of human life is being afraid. We all struggle with fear. Like some of you think, I'm a man. I'm, you know, I I'm my guns. I live in Idaho. I go camping. I grin down Sasquatch. Like I wrestle grizzly bears, like whatever. Stop it, stop it, stop it. We all, come on, look at me. Some of you, come on. Don't get religious. You all struggle. We all struggle with fear. It's a basic thing that that Jesus has to address, especially if we're committed to following him. Everyone, and I don't have to be a betting man, but I think everyone in this room If God was to come to you right now and say to you, you don't have to be afraid of anything, you would just start, some of you would start crying. Some of you would just breathe. You're like, oh my God, this can't be true. If God came to you right now and said everything in your life, from your babies to your body to whatever, your past, your future, your job, everything is going to turn out all right, that would be the best news ever. And yet, this is what Jesus is speaking over every, if you have ears to hear, over every person in this room. You do not have to be afraid of anything. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. Give God a hand. It does feel strained, and, and I want to talk about that. But as I get a little bit ahead of myself, I do want to say that Jesus in this text, Matthew chapter 6, forces us to reframe or we can say reimagine our life or better, better word, re our life, re-see God, re-see the cosmos. In the words of one scholar, we have the task, when Jesus says do not be anxious, we have the task to re-see the world in which we inhabit without the nagging sense that everything is going to go horribly wrong, Right? Like many of us, we, we don't think maybe in this particular way, but many of us, the reason why we worry is because we just work from an assumption that the universe is unfriendly, it's cold, it's pitiless, my boss doesn't like me, my kids don't like me, this person doesn't like me, we worry, we worry, we worry, and then that turns into resentment and bitterness and rage and isolation. And God has not called us to that. Some of you, you work from the assumption of like Murphy's Law. I've talked about this before. Murphy's Law, Scott, I probably get get this wrong, the phraseology, but Murphy's Law is essentially everything that can happen will happen, right? So many of us, the reason why we worry is because, ah, it's a good day, but, ah, you kind of think in the back of your mind in your subconscious that something terrible is going to happen. But the good news here today is you don't have to be afraid of one thing. You don't have to be afraid of one thing. The bad news about this is how do you stink and do that? Like, I don't know about you, but I know about me, fear sometimes feels like the air that I breathe. It's like our oxygen. We live in a worried world. I know particularly I like to think probably way too much, and I could get myself into trouble, and sometimes worry and fear, especially when I was younger, for someone to come and say, hey, you don't have to worry, or you don't have to be afraid anymore, it kind of felt like someone saying, uh, again, as I think I mentioned this before, you don't have to, you can't breathe, right? Breathing uh, is to be afraid, right? To be afraid is our breath, it's our oxygen. Yet the good news is we don't have to worry about one single thing. Why? Well, because God made this world. I'm going to talk more about this here s- soon. That this world, the cosmos in which we live in, overflows with God's grace and goodness and generosity. Uh, we don't have to be afraid here today because of, What we celebrated last week, that Jesus of Nazareth came back from the dead, overthrew death itself, turned it back on itself. And now every Christian, especially in the first part of, of the first and second century, made a radical claim that Jesus, through his death and his resurrection, was the king of all of creation. And so what Jesus tells his disciples, hey, trust me. Trust is not just some doctrinal Um, engagement thing that we do. It's not just some, like, we got to figure out, like, all the different aspects of theology, which I think is really important. To trust Jesus simply means that you're going to trust him when he says that everything is going to be all right. And that Jesus will, in fact, wipe away every tear. And that Jesus will take every suffering, every trouble, every difficulty, and he will redeem it. And he will turn every suffering inside out, and he will grow us into his love. Can I get an amen? Amen. And he will work out everything for his good according to his glory in Christ Jesus. Amen. So that's the good news and I'm gonna talk about this here pretty quick but before I do that, what is anxiety? What does it mean to be anxious? What is worry? Um, Those two words um, kind of share um, similar uh, roots kind of in the same lexical, obviously, world. But both words refer to the experience of being choked. In other words, when you worry, um, that choking sensation is is how you feel. Anxiety leads us to experience something similar to that. It it can literally mean to be out of breath. To worry, to be anxious is a low-grade fear. Um, It's also organized around this what-if scenario. Like, you don't want to hear any of my camping stories. I don't want to talk more about my camping stories. But I have to say, when I went camping, I thought about every what-if scenario possible. I thought about not just one bear attacking me, but three bears attacking me, right? I thought about all the the possible scenarios that could happen to me, like there could be what-if, right? Mountain people out there who Cannibalize people and they come into our camp and they eat Joel and Scott or whatever, right? <laughs> to worry, to be anxious is to think about your future and to 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 think about every negative possibility. It's what if, what if, like some some of you you, you think about, well, what if I lose my job, or what if that person at work has bad feelings or a bad opinion about me? What if this happens to my health? What if I get a bad diagnosis? What if, what if, what if, what if? That's, that's the logic of anxiety. Which, um, unfortunately, if you allow worry to be the dominant feature of your life, every psychologist will tell you, even doctors will tell you that it will suppress your immune system, it will render you impulsive, in the words of one clinical psych- psychologist, and it creates a vulnerability in you in so much that you start making bad decisions in life. There are some people in here, they're so dominated by worry that you made bad decisions about your marriage. You made bad decisions about your job. It wasn't just because you had a behavior problem. It was because you had a worry problem. Corey Temboon said this about worry. Worrying is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength. It's carrying two days at once. I like to argue some of you are not just carrying two days here today. You're carrying five years. You thought about five years, right? Or some of you are thinking about like in a month from now, there's a big thing coming down the road and you're obsessing over it. To worry is to carry at least two days at once or more. It is moving in tomorrow ahead of time. To break this time sequence. There's only one being in the universe that can break the sequence of time and matter and space, and it's not you. Hate to break it to you. To move into the future with worry is to break that time sequence. And what happens, Corey Timboon Tim says, worry doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow, it empties today of its strength. To worry is to lose the power to be who God has called you to be. I mentioned this, this one um, psychologist has said, and it was a couple years ago, I mentioned this before, but the average child, in his words, today exhibits the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the 1950s. It's crazy, right? Why is that? There's a lot of different, we could could deconstruct why that happens. I'll, I'll just say this, I think a lot of it is connected to our technological crisis. I think because of the immediacy of technology, right, we hear of catastrophe after catastrophe after catastrophe. And so catastrophe is exaggerated. Like at the turn of the 19th century into the 20th century, right, we didn't have cell phones, we didn't have any of that. So if there was a catastrophe on another part of the world, it took days for Americans to hear about it. Now we hear, you just throw it on the news, and it's one stinking bad thing after another. Measles, like super funguses, killer viruses. It's like, oh my God, terrorism and psychopaths. And what it does, it exaggerates and it preys on our fear. Let me just say this really quick. Jesus and Paul talk and teach at length about anxiety and fear. Anxiety for them not only hijacks our lives and makes joy impossible, it actually makes loving like Jesus in a self-giving way impossible and incomprehensible. Why? Well, because love, joy, and peace with worry and fear are two mutually exclusive realities. So, in other words, you can either be in love and joy and peace Or you can be in worry or fear. You cannot simultaneously be in love, joy, peace, worry, and fear. In fact, Galatians chapter 5 tells us that the fruit of the Spirit, I love this. This is what the Spirit does in our life. Produces love, joy, peace, gentleness, and goodness, and self-control. So if you have a worry problem, you can ask yourself this question. This is one author says... Maybe one way you can identify if maybe you're struggling with worry. These are existential questions that we all ask, but maybe you're in a season where you're asking this a lot. Number one, you might be asking yourself, and this could be connected to worry, is there anyone out there in control of this world? There's a lot of different ways we can phrase that. But some of you are asking that question. Okay, is there, I mean, come on. Is life just random? Like, am am I always destined and fated to be fired or to be disliked or to be on the bottom or whatever, right? Some of you have thought that. Another question that people ask when their, their hearts are filled with worry doesn't mean that your heart is filled with worry. You, we all ask these questions. But it could be a sign that you're struggling with worry and fear. And it's this, does my life, does this world have a purpose? Another question is, am I something? Do, do I have value? Or am I just nothing? Like I'm in this pitiless Cosmos in which we live. Final question again that maybe help identify if we're really struggling with worry is Is this life all that there is? Let me just say this really quick before I get in kind of the meat of the message here today is um, John tells us that perfect love casts out all fear. So when you're perfected in the love of God, it does something to fear and worry in your life. When you really know that your father, and I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but uh, kind of giving you a clue of where we're going with this talk. But when you're really perfected in the love of your Father in heaven, when you know that he loves you, he loves you, he loves you, you won't struggle with worry and fear. But the opposite's also true. Perfect fear will cast out love. It's important. I think we all would agree that it's important for us as we follow Jesus to be formed in the love of God. So, What is anxiety? Uh, There's a lot of different ways we can describe it. I'm going to give you two aspects of anxiety because we don't have a whole lot of time. So I'm going to break down the structure in two ways of anxiety. Number one, when we worry and when our heart is filled with anxiety, um, we have a perception, real or not, of a sense of losing control. It's a sense of, man, things are outside of my control. The second aspect of worry is a failure to trust in the goodness of God. So, number one, the sense of losing control. There's a team of German researchers I read in this one particular book. They did study um, traffic jam studies. How many of you just love the traffic in Meridian? It's funny, this team of German researchers said in a traffic jam, your, your chances, don't get worried, but your chances of a heart attack increase. Why? They wanted, to ask that. they wanted to answer that question because this is the data, that's what it was pointing to. And they came to this basic conclusion, these are my words. Traffic, and when you're in a traffic jam, it's all about a loss of personal sovereignty, right? In a sense, you, some of you, you treat people like the scum of the earth when, they're, when you're in traffic. Why is that? Why are people so angry? It's because they have a perception that things lie outside of their control, right? That there's an infinite amount of variables in our world, like, again, many people, um, they don't like to think about this, that lie outside of their control, and people just can't handle that. Like, it's funny how we pathologize drivers. Like, I know how to drive, but all the other people in Meridian don't know how to drive, right? It's funny. I had a weird experience. My wife and I have shared this before. We love our date nights. Um, They're few and far between with raising 32 kids, right? But uh, a couple weeks ago, we went uh, to Albertsons on our date night. We had salad. We ate like birds. We loved it. And then we went to Target and we bought Drano, right? And uh, not only we bought Drano, we got some baby stuff and we had such a great time. We were in our van and it was about 830 at night. I was just so, I gotta be honest, I was a little, a little grumpy, we pull out from Target into, uh, onto Eagle, and I, it, it felt like all of Boise. Have you ever told yourself, it just feels like when you pull out onto a street, all of Boise decides to pull out at the same time. So cars are coming by, and so I turn onto Eagle, and one guy cuts me off, and, and this is, I'm gonna date myself, but um, out of my heart, out of my mouth, I said, you stinking nincompoop. I called a driver a stinking nincompoop, right? I don't swear, That's, uh, some of you have that problem. Anyways, <laughs> I could name names right now. I, I know, I sounded like my dad, because my dad used to say that you know, when, when Tracy was acting up. I had never acted up. But, um, but behind that, I, I instantly knew what that was. It was disgust and contempt, because I had a perception that things were outside of my control. When we worry, we start to worry about things that we have no control over. If I could control everything in this world, I would the first thing that I would do, I would go when we go on the plane, take my family on a plane, I would put parachutes on all of us. In fact, I would actually put a parachute on the plane itself. Can I get an amen? I know John Turner, you probably would disagree with this, but man, can't we black box planes? Right? Can I get an amen to that? Right? No? Okay. Black box, you know, we have black box for um, recording stuff. Why can't we do that? I know it would totally go against the law of thermodynamics, but can't we, if I could, I would black box plane, so if we actually fell, we would survive. Can I get an amen to that? We love people. Um, But I'm a control freak. All of us on one level are control freaks. If I could, right, if I went to a restaurant, I'd make sure that I would prepare all the food. But there's just so much in life that you and I cannot control. And if we're not careful, we start allowing that perception of a loss of control to define how we think about ourselves, our church, our family, our friends, our world. Even we start to project that onto God himself. Number two, worry is a failure to trust that God oversees the infinite variables within this world. In other words, I'm gonna I'm getting ahead of myself, but we live in a merciful cosmos. Don't worry about that, let me just explain. This last week I read um, a professor of psychology. He wrote a popular book, I'm not gonna name his name, you probably know him, you probably have read his book, you probably love his stuff. I really don't care for him. Anyways, he, I care for him, let me clarify. <laughs> I hate the world, right? No. I love him. I don't love his writings, right? His very Hobbesian, very bleak view of the world. In it, he writes this. Again, he's a professor of psychology, and he helps people. I don't know how this helps people. He writes about our world. Mother Nature, I'm sure he shouted this as he wrote this. In his words, Mother Nature is hell-bent on our destruction. Mother Nature, in other words, wants to kill us. And he describes what, um, the reason why he's talking about that, because his purpose is to challenge the French, in his words, impressionist landscape, um, vision of our world, that our world in its original state is idyllic, peaceful, romantic, all that kind of stuff. He uses an example after example of, hey man, this world is filled with guinea worms, um, mosquitoes, malaria, um, starvation, level droughts, AIDS, black plague. He keeps on adding and adding and adding, giving examples of why this world is a very dark place. He then switches into kind of like psychology mode. He quotes the Red Queen of Alice in Wonderland. And he says this, the Red Queen says this, excuse me, in Alice in Wonderland. You have to to run fast as you can just to stay in the same place. He's talking about fitness. He's talking about the survival of, of the fitness. He has a Darwinian vision of the world. And then he moves into talking about dominance hierarchy and uh, how you have people on the top of this dominance hierarchy and people at the bottom. It's the ultimate truth of our world. So you have male level one who's at the top of this hierarchy, and this is what he says about these male level one guys. They have the best places uh, to live. They have the best food. They have limitless opportunities for romance, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Then he switches to female level ones, like they're on the top of this dominance hierarchy. They have access to high quality um, guys or suitors. They're tall. They're strong. They're, um, they're uh, symmetrical. What does that even mean? Like I asked my wife, why? I didn't say wife, Kel, am I symmetrical, right? But these women have access to high-quality suitors. Uh, They compete ferociously. They're pitiless to maintain their position. And then he goes dark again. He goes, then you have the level 10 people. Their food is terrible. Um, They live short lives. They die young. They age quickly. And no one cares for them. And then he says, the answer to this, the problem that we live in of a pitiless cosmos that we inhabit is get more sleep and put your shoulders up because it affects your serotonin. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I ain't going to you to get counseling this week. This is a take. This in many ways affects a lot of people and their struggles and how they view the world. It might not, they might not think of it like this in a more sophisticated way, but the reason why a lot of people worry is because they work from an assumption that the universe, the cosmos, God himself, is not for us. If this world is like what he describes it, Mother Nature trying to kill you, right? And there is no existence of God. Number one, we have no possibility of meaning. And if there's no such thing as meaning, then why do we stink and care about anything? Yet the good news is Jesus fundamentally disagrees with this professor of psychology. We do not live in a bleak, hosbian, dark, pitiless, purposeless cosmos. We live in a world that radiates with God's grace and goodness and mercy and love and compassion. And Jesus says... In chapter 6, verse 24, 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious. I wish Jesus would have said, uh, be less anxious. How many of you would wish that, right? <laughs> or in the words of one author, why can't we just be anxious like on Tuesdays? Or when the Dallas Cowboys draft, right? It's just, Ah! Why can't we like just, why, why can't we compromise when it comes to anxiety? No, Jesus just, he's not brutal. He's not ruthless. He just simply says, do not be anxious. My question growing up, I would like to say, come on, man, all the time. Like, this feels strained. This is bizarre. I mean, we should worry about stuff. And so I always ask the question, why? Well, Matthew chapter 6, really quick, as we back up, Jesus, before he says, do not be anxious, has a long discourse on fasting prayer. He talks about um, giving, generosity, the evil eye man, the Lord's prayer. Um, He talks a lot about not not putting on a show, uh, a religious show. And then he uh, begins to flesh out two main themes in chapter um, 6. And uh, those themes are focused on the Father. Everyone say the Father and priorities. So Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6 that his Father... The creator of space and time is present, and he also rewards us. It's important for us to understand. He then moves from that. Again, this is all before he says do not be anxious. And he says you don't have to pray like the pagan world, right? There's a lot of studies on how pagans did religion. And uh, the, the assumption of pagan religion is that no one knew where they stood with the gods. And so they came up with these elaborate religious um, experiences where they would say a ton of words. There's over and over and over, mantras and incantations and magic spells. And the reason why they did that is because they were trying to court the favor of the gods because they didn't know what was going on in the invisible world where the gods lived. Yet Jesus says you don't have to pray like them and say a ton of words because the Father, everyone say the Father, the Father knows what you need before you ask love that. And then he moves into the Lord's prayer. The dominant feature of the Lord's prayer is that our God is not a distant landlord, not a faceless bureaucrat, not a detached Buddha type of figure. No, 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 no. The one who runs space and time in the material world is a father. I love this. He is a father. And this father has a kingdom. And because of this, we do not have to be anxious. Now, let me say this really quick. Uh, anxiety, when Jesus says, do not be anxious, what he's saying is that you could never feel fear or worry or anxiety ever. That's just simply not possible. What Jesus is saying, and what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, and we'll get there really quick, is that you cannot allow fear and anxiety and worry to be the dominant feature of your life. Right, right. Why? Well, Um, because Jesus thinks in the words of one scholar that we have no reason ever. This feels bizarre and strained, but go with me. We have no reason ever to be anxious. I want you to feel that. I want you to feel the tension. It's hard, especially when we know things about our world. We hear things, and we hear tragic stories, and there's catastrophe, and... Things happen to good people, bad people, whatever. But what Jesus is saying, you have no reason ever to be anxious. In fact, one scholar commenting on this passage when Jesus says, do no longer be anxious, the scholar says that this present world, according to Jesus, is a perfectly safe place to be. Why? Because sometimes, let's be honest, it doesn't feel safe. Can I get any man to that? It feels like, my gosh, Sometimes I feel like in dumb, dumb and Dumber Cosmos where birds' heads are falling off, right? Have you ever had that week where it's like everything that could, Murphy's Law, everything that could go wrong goes wrong? Have you ever felt that before? So Jesus, you're saying essentially that we have no reason to be afraid? And the answer that Jesus gives us is yes. Why? Really quick. Because we have a Father who cares for us. It's funny, um... Every night, my family, it's kind of a—it's an implicit demand, wants me to go around the house before everybody goes to bed and lock all the doors, right? Check every window, right, pretty much. Shut the blinds and lock all the doors. And then kind of our nightly routine is I'll go upstairs and um, I'll put our kids to bed. Every now and then, our kids will have nightmares. They'll wake up and I'll, I'll hear Wesley scream like, Dad, right? And every time I hear that, I run upstairs, and I get right next to Wesley. I don't have to say basically anything. I just, my presence, simply being there, Wesley will look at me. I might whisper, hey, buddy, it's going to be okay, just a nightmare. And it is amazing how my kids instantly fall back to sleep. Yeah, they had a nightmare. Yeah, maybe in that nightmare, there were bad things going on. But when he saw that his dad was right next with him. He instantly realized, yeah, bad things happen, but, 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 but I know that my dad is right there. And they've yet to figure out that I'm a small man, right? (laughs) And that in theory, if four guys attacked our house, I'm like, "Um, I'm sorry, family, I'm going to do my best, but I think we're going to lose this war, right? (laughs) But the good news is that we have a father who is present, who oversees what Jesus will tell us, every cosmic detail, every detail of your life falls under the rubric of God's sovereign love. In fact, this is why Jesus said, look at the birds, right? No birds are going to be popping pills, drinking megaloes, saying whatever, the darndest things. Um, these birds are carefree. And then Jesus says, look at, as a thought experiment, look at the lilies. Why? Well, because lilies, the crocus in this um, Palestinian world, uh, was a breathtaking reminder that we live in a cosmos that radiates with God's beauty and grace and goodness. So I think Jesus would say to us today, because of that, as we look to the birds, as we look to the flowers, Jesus would say, you don't have to worry about anything. Number one, you don't have to take notes, but you can, because God has designed our lives to be lived in peace and joy. Amen. One scholar says Jesus is the happiest person you'll ever meet. Filled with joy. The Bible tells us and the life of Jesus is the prototype for our life. We can expect as we get closer to Jesus to have his joy and his peace. Some of you, you have believed the a stinking lie that life is about worry, it is brutal, it's about being afraid, it's about being exhausted and getting protein shakes and just surviving. Protein shakes are good. Amen. But life is not designed to be lived that way. Life is to be designed to be lived in peace and joy. Jesus would also say you don't have to worry because this present world is not a place of shadows and brutality, it's not a run-down universe. Space is not a lifeless, purposeless, pitiless continuum, right? This world that we inhabit is governed and shaped and taken care of by God, our Father himself. I was praying this week over everyone in this room because I think this is a message for all of us. And I felt like um, I was supposed to read scripture to you at this point, point. and so I, I, as, as a way to reaffirm that God is over every cosmic detail, I want to go to the, to the Psalms, and I'm going to give you several other passages, and I want you to, I want you to really think about these scriptures as, as, and, and relate them or juxtapose them to maybe what you're going through right now, and this is what Psalm 104, verse 24 says, O Lord, how manifold are your works! In wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. What does that mean? God's in charge and there's purpose. There's purpose for this world and there's purpose for your life. I know we don't like to talk about purpose because purpose implies that there's a meaning outside of ourselves. And we all believe that we're responsible to construct our own vision of what it means to be human, but God has a purpose for every single uh, person in this room. (laughs) Psalm 65, 9 through 13. You visit the earth and water it. Is this a distant landlord? Is this some cosmic Buddha detached figure? No, you greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with the flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and they sing together for joy. God is at work in creation. It really seems like that God loves this world. It seems like he's involved with creation. And then this psalm will tell us he's also involved in our lives. Psalm 145, 8 through 9, I love this. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. We serve a merciful God, God who forgives. We don't have to live in shame. We don't have to live in scarcity. We don't have to worry about our past. We don't have to regret as we come to Jesus and we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins. We don't have to obsess over our inadequacies and run as fast as we can to make it in this world. No, God will bring all the goodness and all the grace to you. God is merciful. He knows when you're sick. He knows what you're going through. He knows your pain and sorrow and suffering. This world, yes, has been spoiled by evil forces, by death itself, but Jesus has won the victory, come on, through his resurrection, and it's Jesus who is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Hebrews chapter 1, 2 through 3, I love this. But in the last days he has spoken to us by his son Jesus whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom he has also created the world. Verse 3, he's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds or he sustains the universe by the word of his power. He sustains the world of space and time and matter with one word, and he sustains your life. In fact, the word sustain is associated with another Greek word, which means to carry. Remember the, the passage, I believe it's in Mark. I can't remember the first part of Mark, where the the, um, the four men carried their paralyzed friend to Jesus, and Jesus healed them, carried this paralyzed man. Jesus carries our lives with care and mercy and love like these four men carried their paralyzed friend. Jesus oversees the cosmos and all of its spoiledness and all of its upside downness. Jesus will wipe away its tears. Jesus will heal all things. Can I get an amen to that? Colossians chapter 1, 15 through 23. I want you to feel how cosmic this is as we close, how big this is. Verse 15 says he is the image, we're talking about Jesus of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Please just listen to this. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Jesus is pretty cosmic here. He's before all things. Everything runs through him, and he's the end of all things. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated, and hostile in mind, e- doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order, presents you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Psalm 24, verse one, we don't have this text, but the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Yeah, bad things happen. Yeah, we all go through suffering in difficult times. We're not, we don't believe in like detachment. We don't believe that suffering, sickness, whatever is illusory. We don't deny its reality. We believe it's there. But we believe that our father works out all things. Hagar, she was dying with her son of starvation and thirst. In Genesis chapter 21 an angel announces, God is right here with you. Maybe you feel like that right now. Maybe some of you feel like Joshua. Joshua had his mentor, Moses, pass away. God then came and says, You don't have to worry about a thing, for I am with you. David committed adultery. We condemn adultery. David made a horrible, horrifying decision. Not only did he commit adultery, he murdered one of his best friends, and yet, As David confessed his sin and turned back to Yahweh, God announced that he was with him. Elijah was exhausted, maybe you feel like Elijah. Elijah was exhausted, he was filled with lack of faith, and it was God who was right there feeding him and bringing him out of his his despair. So yes, we have problems, we will not deny that we have problems, but what Jesus says, the biggest problem really is about how we think about him. He ends and we end here. Jesus said, hey guys, we live in a perfectly safe place. Yes, things are going on, but you have a father in heaven who will provide for you and who will work out everything for your good. We live in a merciful cosmos. The world is drenched within God's affection and satisfaction, right? But then Jesus calls everyone little faiths. Why are you of little faith? What is that? Well, this is just simply, little faith is simply an incorrect vision of God. Little faith is about how we think. Let me just say this really quick. You don't have a worry problem per se. Worry is not just an emotional disorder. Worry, in fact, at the very heart of it, the very bottom of worry, is a disordered and cluttered thought world. It's connected worry when you have the feelings of worry again it's not just an arbitrary event that makes you feel funny or off worry is not thinking straight about jesus and yourself having your mind renewed as as we close here is essential for living in god's love joy and peace in fact, your thought life will run your life. We find this in Proverbs 4, 23. John 15 tells us that Jesus says this 10 times in seven verses, that you have to abide in my words. John 8, 31, 32, we mentioned this about four or five weeks ago, that you have to abide in the words of Jesus, and then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, Paul says you got to set your mind. Everyone say your mind. You gotta set your mind on the things that are above. I think the problem, and I've experienced this before, maybe you've experienced this before, is we usually start our day without scripture. And then we go throughout our day without thinking about scripture or God or his promises or whatever. And then we come home, like, after a good, hard day of work and we listen to the new Taylor Swift album. Is is that a thing, right? Anyway, maybe a little bit of Kanye. Like, we heard our boss talking. We had, like, some conversations with people at work, all that kind of stuff. we come home. We maybe put the kids to bed or maybe you don't have kids. And you turn on Netflix and you watch a serial, like, murder drama. And then the next morning you wake up and you're like, why do why do I feel so afraid. Worry is not an accidental random thing that happens to you. I'm sorry. Worry is all about what you've decided to think about. You can either live in the joy and the peace and the love of God, or you can live in worry and fear. You cannot live at the same time in both those realities. So we end with the practice, are you with me? I gotta close, I've got a little bit too long. Philippians chapter four gives us our practice for this week, so how do we subvert worry? Is there anything practical that we could take away from this? Yes, Paul says, and I think this is the first thing we should do this week. When you go home, take some time out of your week, and the first thing you should do is you should name your stinking fear. Name your worry. Paul says, bring your request to God. Isn't it funny how, like, I, this is what I do. When I worry, I think about it for days before I bring it to God. Have you ever experienced that before? I worry, I worry, I worry, I worry, I worry. I obsess, I obsess, I obsess. My heart races. If you ever experienced this before, you'll, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. And then I'm like, oh yeah, maybe I should uh, name it and bring this to Jesus. Right? First thing you should do is you gotta name your fear and your worry. The second thing you should do is you got to pray over your worry. You name it. just the fact of naming it is going to set you free from worry. But as you name it, you pray over your fear. You say, I'm scared, this sucks, whatever, God. You bring your honest self to God. God, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. I don't know what's going to happen in a year. My boss said this. The doctor said this. Right? That was a good save. I'm such an athlete, guys. It's pretty amazing. Thank you, Marshall and Rachel. But pray over your fear and your worry. You name it, you pray over it. Then you thank God over it. Paul says, bring your supplications in prayer and with thanksgiving, present them to God, right? So thank God. You name your worry, you pray over it this week, then you thank God over it. What is thanksgiving? Thanksgiving is just simply rehearsing and reminding yourself of all the promises of God. You say okay this is what has been said this is what i feel this is what i'm thinking as i name it as you're honest with god in prayer and then you start thanking god by declaring the promises of god this is how i feel but this is what god says over me i am scared but god you said i don't have to be afraid because you work out everything according to your purpose you take your your prayers and you build them around the promises of God. You can't take prayer and build it around a feeling. You can't take prayer and build it around your fear. You have to take prayer and you gotta build it around the promises of God. Can I get an amen? And finally, as we close here, you name it, you pray over it, you thank God over it, and then you give it. In other words, you leave it with God. See, my problem over the last few years, I'll be honest with you, has, I, I've been pretty good at naming my fears. I've been pretty good at praying over my fears. And I've been pretty good at thanking God over my fears. My problem has been leaving those fears with God. I've, I've shared this example and I end here. Uh, last year, uh, blew a tire, had to go to Les Schwab, love Les Schwab, right? So I bring my, my car in and they said, hey, and I explained everything. And they said, all right, we, we, we got this taken care of. They said, it's going to be about two hours. So I remember I went to uh, Dunkin' Do- DK Donuts, had a maple bar to the glory of God, right? Didn't tell my wife. And uh, had some coffee, read read a lot. And I just I was having the best time. And then I came back, and I remember the mechanic, he was a really nice guy, said, hey, we're gonna this is going to be on us. We took care of your tire. Um, you're a great guy, whatever. And so, <laughs> you didn't say that. Yeah. Man, you're just so tall and symmetrical. Anyways, let's... (laughs) Like awkward. Um, And I remember after after I left, I'm driving my car, and I'm like, oh, my God. There wasn't for two hours. I didn't one moment worry about whether the mechanic was going to take care of my car. I left it. I left the fixing of the car with the mechanic i trusted the professional and then it kind of felt like a rebuke oh my gosh i actually in on some levels trust that mechanic with my car more than i trust god with my life because there's so many times i'll name it i'll pray over my worry i'll thank god and then about an hour later i'm picking it back up no if you want to live in the joy and the love that God has for you. You have to name your worry, you pray it, you thank God over it, and this is a radical act of trust. Leave it with God. Let God be God. You stop trying to do God's job you let him fix your marriage you let him fix your body you let him fix that place of work you let him fix your kids you let him fix whatever you are obsessing over he's the one that brings all the healing all the grace all the goodness to you amen